Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to another episode of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. As always, before we begin the podcast, I do have a couple of housekeeping notes to cover. Please continue to share the podcasts with your communities, friends, and family. Doing so only aids in helping communities learn more about preparedness and focus on preparing themselves for the day that a disaster impacts. Currently, we have only two episodes left until Season 2 draws to a close. This experiment that I decided to embark on six months ago has really opened my eyes and my mind to the possibilities that are out there. I urge those of you who may be grappling with following your dreams and your hobbies to take that leap of faith and just do it. More than likely, following the conclusion of Season 2, I will no longer be doing numbered seasons and will continue to upload bi-weekly and just label the actual episode number beside it. After looking through my episodes, seasons seem to be outdated and really don't matter when recording a podcast. Additionally, when I begin writing my next series of episodes, I'm going to expand my horizons and begin looking internationally and focusing on singular disaster events. Doing so cuts down on the fluff and allows me to go into more detail and provide a better understanding of how disasters affect communities and the people that live within those communities. Finally, for those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen, and I hope that you find the content entertaining and informative. Alright, with all of the housekeeping notes out of the way, Let's go ahead and jump into episode 8. This week, we are going to be discussing agricultural terrorism, or agroterrorism for short. What many here in the United States don't realize is that the wide swath of American farmlands and livestock farms go unprotected from external threats. The largest farms in the United States are not all that far from major population centers, or within a day's drive for those aiming to commit heinous acts. Some of the largest farms in the United States don't produce food primarily for just grocery distribution. Many produce key items such as potatoes for McDonald's, cotton for clothing, sugar for nearly every grocery chain in the world, and the ever so amazing Halo's Mandarins. Unfortunately, it wouldn't take much to affect the farming operations of a small farm, let alone the larger operations that produce the majority of the crops here in the United States and the majority of which have little to no security measures in place. Agricultural terrorism is characterized as a subset of bioterrorism and is defined as the deliberate introduction of an animal or plant disease with the goal of generating fear, causing economic loss, and or undermining social stability. And, according to the RAND Corporation, significant vulnerabilities do indeed exist, and in the years following 9-11, it doesn't seem like much has been done to counteract and prevent against a potential attack on the agricultural industry here in the United States. 
Key vulnerabilities have been identified by the RAND Corporation and include concentrated and intensive contemporary farming practices. Highly crowded breeding and rearing conditions mean an outbreak of a contagious disease would be very difficult to contain, especially if it is airborne and could require the destruction of all exposed livestock. Just to give an idea of what that would look like, the largest cattle ranch in the United States is home to over 35,000 head of cattle. Out of an average steer weighing 1,400 pounds, once cooled, the yield on average equals out to about 880 pounds. Multiply that by 35,000 head of cattle, and that is 30,800,000 pounds of beef that would need to be destroyed, leading to potential meat shortages at grocery stores. The next key vulnerability identified by the RAND Corporation is insufficient farm and food-related security and surveillance. Farms seldom incorporate vigorous means to prevent unauthorized access. Most animal auctions and barn sales are devoid of organized on-site surveillance, and food processing and packing plants tend to lack uniform security and safety preparedness measures. Particularly, the small and medium-scale facilities that have proliferated in recent years. The fact that one of, if not the most critical piece of infrastructure in the United States goes unguarded daily should have already raised red flags amongst nearly every federal and state agency. Intelligence and counterterrorism agencies do so much to prevent attacks in every other sector except the agricultural sector. Does no one realize that without food, the chances of panic and increased hoarding would only lead to a food shortage much quicker? And the final key vulnerability that I'm going to share with you is the inappropriate veterinarian and diagnostic training. The number of veterinarians able to recognize and treat foreign livestock diseases is declining, reflecting a relatively poorly paid profession that suffers from a lack of appropriate training and exotic animal epidemiology. This sounds to me like there is a perfect storm of complacency brewing. I seriously hope that within the 20 years that these articles have been published, that these key vulnerabilities have been identified and corrective measures have been taken. More disturbing is that historically, there has been extensive research into the offensive biological weapons that could be deployed against both agriculture and cattle. Such countries as Germany and France researched agricultural pathogens such as Rinderpest virus, also known as cattle plague. Infected animals suffered from symptoms such as fever, wounds in the mouth, diarrhea, discharge from the nose and eyes, and eventually death. Death rates during Rinderpest outbreaks were remarkably high, and up to 100% in particularly susceptible herds. While Rinderpest did not infect humans, it severely affected their livelihoods. Rinderpest outbreaks caused famines responsible for millions of deaths. Luckily, Rinderpest was successfully eradicated in 2010. Russia maintained one of the largest and seemingly most sophisticated agricultural terrorism research programs, lasting from 1935 to 1992 following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Such viruses as potato virus Y were highly pathogenic and could lead to significant financial losses and crop death if specific symptoms such as potato tuber necrotic ring spot disease, or PTNRD for you acronym nerds, existed. These symptoms would render potatoes unmarketable, leading to severe financial losses. Following the collapse of the Soviet Union, many research labs were shuttered and left abandoned with research projects still left inside the labs. Who knows if similar strains of cattle and plant viruses were left abandoned, waiting for nefarious actors to take possession. Terrorist organizations seek to exploit any vulnerability and cause mass panic in any way possible. In order to prevent a piece of critical infrastructure as vital as the agricultural sector from being infiltrated and attacked, I hate to say it, but agencies only seem to learn and react 
once an attack comes to fruition. Prior to 9-11, there wasn't nearly as many agencies with the sole mission of preventing terrorist attacks in the United States. However, all of that changed following that fateful day on September the 11th, 2001. From then on, the landscape of counterterrorism shifted forever, but not in all sectors. Agriculture remains unprotected for the most part. I hate to say this, but when reviewing material for this episode, everything published was nearly 20 plus years old. In fact, the RAND organization research that I used for most of this episode was written well in advance of September the 11th, and this article was written in March of 2000. If it's not obvious enough now, there really seems to be very little emphasis on preparing and maintaining an active preparedness program for the agricultural sector. The repercussions that could potentially be felt following any potential attack against both agriculture and cattle populations would span years, as vital actions would need to be taken to include either soil cleanup or removing the contaminated soil altogether, and for cattle, it generally takes around 18 months for an Angus bull to reach maturity before slaughter, meaning that following an attack, it could take up to two years to resume normal production of beef and agricultural products. With more than 700,000 cattle farms here in the United States, it's likely that other ranches could ramp up production to cover a production gap if an attack were to occur. However, here on Destination Disaster, we look at worst case scenarios. In order to be prepared, we must account for every scenario. Terrorist cells are continuously upgrading, adapting, and identifying their next targets. And with agriculture covering such wide swaths throughout the country, it's possible this sector could become a target. In fact, over the last two years, it looks as though these terrorist cells have adapted. The FBI's Cyber Division has identified well over 2,500 attempted ransomware attacks against agricultural and meatpacking corporations here in the United States. Ransomware attacks are a form of malware that encrypts all of the files on a device, effectively shutting down computer systems. The following excerpt comes from Investigate Midwest, an independent nonprofit newsroom. The mission of this nonprofit is to serve the public interest by exposing dangerous and costly practices of influential agricultural corporations and institutions through an in depth and data driven investigative journalism. A high profile ransomware attack on international meatpacking giant JBS in May forced the company to shut down operations for multiple days. Russia based ransomware group Rebel was responsible for the attack. JBS paid an $11 million ransom to Rebel in order to prevent further disruptions, according to a June 9th statement from Andrew Noguera, CEO of JBS US Operations. As you can hear, even the IT infrastructure isn't secured to the point to prevent cyber attacks and critical systems from being disrupted. Now I ask you, what would a potential worst case scenario resemble? There isn't a ton of information regarding preparedness actions being taken to ensure that food supply chains are able to withstand terrorist attacks. Well, here at Destination Disaster, we're going to take a look at a worst case scenario involving a coordinated attack against the United States' food supply chain. For those of you who may be new, on certain episodes, we will take a look at a theoretical scenario that includes elements from the earlier discussed content. Now, before we discuss any scenario here, I want to make sure that this isn't taken out of context. An actual attack is not occurring, and the following material discussed from this point on is only educational in nature. So, let's jump right into it. On one frigid night in the not-too-distant future, the FBI Cyber Division begins to identify thousands of attempted breaches at meatpacking giants such as Cargill, JBS, Tyson Foods, and National. While many of these attempted infiltrations fail, 
several do gain access to key critical systems such as financial records, production systems, and most importantly, access into secured areas. The FBI initially only believes this to be another attempted infiltration similar to what Rebel conducted back in 2021. What the FBI doesn't realize is that this was just the first wave in a series of attacks that would occur. For the night, the FBI believes that it has effectively eliminated the threat. The next morning, at exactly 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, critical systems begin to fail within these meatpacking companies nationwide, leading to the halt of slaughter, transport, and packaging operations, effectively crippling all business procedures. While this takes place, unidentified aircraft take to the skies across the nation aimed at the crop-growing operations dotted across the rural areas of the United States. The Federal Aviation Administration identifies this anomaly, as none of the aircraft are identifying and have disabled their transponders. By the time the FAA can alert the proper authorities, it will be too late. The unidentified aircraft turn out to be crop dusters loaded with extremely virulent pathogens aimed at killing cattle and crops. The dispersal begins, and by approximately 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the attack has concluded. The FBI, EPA, FEMA, USDA, and other key federal agencies immediately begin to deploy specialized personnel to the affected areas of the country. While the attack was not aimed at killing civilians, entire towns and regions are evacuated as a precautionary measure until the initial survey is completed. The next day, the first signs begin to manifest as crops begin to wither and die off. Corn, cotton, soybean, wheat, potatoes, and tomatoes are affected. It is estimated that the crop loss at each farm is nearly 85%. This attack has decimated nearly half of all farms that the United States relies on for food. Following this coordinated attack, nearly 150,000 head of cattle and 900,000 chickens are either sick or have already died. If it isn't apparent now, the repercussions of this attack will be felt for years to come. The monetary damage is in the tens of billions and lives lost as a result of a potential food shortage following an attack could be in the millions if appropriate actions are not taken. The simple fact is that we don't know exactly what will happen if such an attack were to occur. However, what must be taken away from this episode is that you must prepare and be ready for any eventuality. While an attack like this would take considerable planning, nothing can ever be ruled out. I want to thank you for listening to the episode this week. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, share, and follow me on my other social media platforms as well. I am on Instagram at Destination Period Disaster and on Twitter at Dest Disaster. The next episode of Current Events will be available on February 27th, 2022. This has been Destination Disaster. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.